Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. The countdown to Christmas is just around the corner. So I want to kick things off by expressing my gratitude to all of you, my incredible audience. Thank you for your unwavering support. I truly appreciate and cherish each and every one of you. Uh, and with the festive season approaching, how about spreading some cheer by subscribing to the podcast if you haven't already? And some of you have done this, but I would really much appreciate it if you can do it too. If you haven't had the chance to give us a glowing five-star rating on Spotify or, or Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate it. I'll consider that as a perfect holiday gift. That would mean so much to me. And having said that, just a friendly reminder, you can stay connected with us on all social media platforms. Our handle is at an immigrant's life. And you can also drop us an email at an immigrant's life at yahoo.com. Whether you want to connect or send us your warmest holiday greetings, that's the best way to get in touch with us. Oh, uh, by the way, this week marks the official celebration of an immigrant's life fourth Christmas. And I'm still amazed and proud that we're here continuously sharing these inspiring immigration stories. I usually have a Christmas episode, but unfortunately, I have been really busy lately. I have been coaching my two boys basketball um, team, and that takes up so much of my time. So I'm really sorry about that, but this amazing episode is still a great episode to listen to over the holidays or whenever you want to listen to it. So how about let's talk about this episode. Join us as we sit down with an extraordinary guest who has navigated through one of life's most formidable challenges, overcoming postpartum depression fueled by unwavering love for her child. But that's not all. She shares her journey of growing up between two distinct cultures, the traditions of her immigrant parents, and her very own. This episode is a captivating exploration of resilience, love, and the intricate dance of identity. So, I think I've taken so much time already. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a glamorous model and amazing mommy. She'll allure you with her gorgeous smile and then show you how to teach the ABCs. Everyone, please welcome Monica Lam. Hello, everybody. Chumrip Suo and Akon for coming on the podcast. Ah, Chumrip Suo. Before we start, why don't you tell the Immigrant Nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything? Um, as of right now, there's really nothing for me to promote. Um, but if anyone is interested, you can definitely reach me through my Instagram, which is Monica M. Lam. Um, besides that, that... That's pretty much it. Awesome. I'm obsessed with names. Do you know what your last name means? Lamb? Uh, honestly, I don't. But um, my mom says that she carried her last name, obviously, from her father. My grandfather is 
half Vietnamese. So my background is actually Cambodian Vietnamese. Mm. Are you from the South? I'm I'm actually here from the States. Um, I mean, sorry, like your family, your your Yes, yes. Roots. So my my mom's side, they're all from Cambodia. My my Cambodia, Vietnam, and my father's side, they're all from Cambodia for the most part. Maybe parts of different parts of China even. I don't really know, mm. honestly. But um they're they're from the my father grew up in Batamong, which is where I believe where the Uncle Wat is. And that's like northeast ish of Cambodia. And um my mom, she's from like the outside parts, um, or like um the villages of some sort out right outside from Sam Reap. And I, I honestly don't really know too much about about their background because they're uh, you know they're refugees or were refugees at some point and you know they came here to America to live the dream and um, there are certain parts of their lives that they wanted to you know just close and move on because of everything that went on with the war so I respected that and um, you know tried my best not to dabble too much into you know whatever horrors that they might have experienced at that time but that's. Uh, the story of, of of my um my culture my background and everything mm -hmm. where did you grow up i grew up in minnesota 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 so i'm very familiar with the canadian weather um <laughs> it, it's so funny because i was born in massachusetts and then somehow my my parents just for some reason wanted to go to minnesota and um i grew up there for three quarters of my life and then I ended up coming here to New Jersey um, but Minnesota yeah Minnesota how was that experience as a you know a daughter of immigrants brown and <laughs> living in the white world literally surprisingly it's it's not what it would probably look like today where where I grew up in Rochester, Minnesota, it was a very good mix of all these different ethnicities. So I didn't feel like I was being singled out or anything like that, especially by um, the color of my skin. So in in the town I grew up in, there is a very large Cambodian community, but there is also a mixture of Vietnamese, Thai, um, very small community of Chinese from what I remember. Um, there were also some, you know, different African descents and everything like that. So it was it was a very good, good mixing pot until I went to until I moved into the Twin Cities, where I lived in the suburbs, where it's predominantly white. And um, although, you know, I lived in neighborhoods where it was mostly, you know, white folks, everybody treated me like, you know, as if I was just like any other normal person. Again, not like how it is in today's world or today's era where we kind of have to be on our toes a little bit but um minnesota's minnesota's good minnesota's good besides it's besides it's stupid weather <laughs> it's pretty good yeah but you know what are you gonna do i mean i heard minnesota's like you're right I've, I've heard so much about minnesota they're like the canadians of u.s yes yes and the the funny part that um, I kind of don't miss about Minnesota is that so I never watched the movie Fargo, but 
sometimes somebody's like, oh, you're from Minnesota. So that means you're from Fargo. Or like you sound like you're like, do you use the word a or um, all these other terminology and stuff? And I'm like, um, no, no, I don't. I, I don't say a in at, after the every every single sentence. It's kind of like stereotyping Canadians in a way, too. And um you know, but they're just like, oh, so you probably lived a life just like Fargo. And I'm like, honestly, <laughs> I never really, really watched it. And they're like, oh, did you guys do like bobsledding or like um, the, you know, like in Alaska, they have the Iditarod. Mm. I think that's what called, where like the, yeah. the Huskies racing on the sleds and all that yeah. stuff. And I'm like, um, you know, maybe certain parts of Minnesota did. But, you know, I lived in a pretty rural area. So uh, the most fun I could probably get is just knocking people over from you know their snow forts and all that stuff and that's 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 about it seems to be a nice childhood how about your relationship with mom and dad being them being cambodians and you being an american it's not that bad um growing up um khmer was the number one main language in our in our household solely because my mom she didn't really speak um English that very well. My dad lived here in America, I want to say a little bit longer than her. I think he came here in either the 60s or the 70s. And then my mom came here in the late 80s. So he had a little bit more time, you know, learning English and all that stuff. Um, but my mom, you know, since she only spoke Khmer, I had to learn that myself. Um, my brother, on the other hand, I have um, a brother who was born in minnesota speaks very little Khmer, but he's a, he's able to understand it so he'll respond to you in in english and um till this day you know i i still i still speak and i'm able to communicate with my parents perfectly fine i mean am i better or am i better now that i'm older absolutely not no i was probably a lot better in speaking when i was younger when i was around them and you know being that i'm more around like Filipinos I I don't I don't get to speak my language as much so I I've lost my tongue quite a bit and my mom will make fun of me for that that's what they do they they always do that they always do that they're like Monica you're more Filipino than you are Cambodian now. like what happened and I was like well that's what happens when you marry a Filipino guy like what do you expect like I my son you know my son he's five years old he's he's half Filipino um his father, he doesn't really speak Tagalog much, but I want to be able to, um, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, expose Jameson, my son. I want to be able to expose him to to the different cultures, to the different languages. And I, I just don't want him to be like that stereotype Asian-American where it's like you're born here in America or you come here to America and you totally forget your native tongue. I'm like, I don't want him to be like that. I don't want him to be like my brother. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I love my brother to that. I really, really do. But I, I just want, um, you know, I want him to to understand the the history, my son to understand the history behind, you know, both his parents. I want him to be able to communicate with, you know, his Lolas, his uh, Lolos and all that stuff, even with my, you know, on, from my side, his Ye and Tha. And, um, you know, I find that, I find that very important. So it's, you know, when when I communicate with my parents, when I speak Khmer with them, it's almost like practice. So that way I can teach my son to do the same. And although I don't speak the Gallo well, I can understand it to the, for the most part. Um, 
I still try to learn so that way I can teach him the same thing. Yeah, 100%. When you speak to your, by the way, gorgeous son, Thank gorgeous, you. gorgeous boy, I even showed the picture of him to my wife. Like, yo, look at this uh, little boy over here. This is the son of my guest. I'm like, yo, he's the <laughs> cutest. And I didn't hey. even know he's Filipino. Uh, yeah, he's half Filipino, half Filipino. That's awesome. Yeah, what's I going to say? Yeah, as a daughter of immigrants, how do you navigate cultural expectations around motherhood within your family? Uh, well, when I was younger and with my mom, the, it was like when it came to religion and, you know, the way we practice and stuff, it was very, very important. And I have to be honest, I tried to do the same thing, but because there isn't much of a large community here, I can't really, it's hard for me to remember and, and, and teach the same to him when I haven't practiced it in well over 12 years, honestly, maybe 15 years even. So, um, I can't really comment on that. I'm sorry. It's okay. That's okay. You know, immigrant parents, they have these ideas of how to raise child the Eastern way or the Cambodian way, whatever way. But you're, you're, you're being an American. It's a different point of view. How do you set boundaries with your parents when it comes to parenting with your child? Well, hmm. That's a very good question. Well, my mom did come live with me. She lived with me for, or lived with us, I should say, for a couple of years. So she really helped helped us out during COVID and when my son was first born and everything. And um, honestly, the way that, you know, she would hold him, speak to him, reprimand him even, was almost like the same way that she was with me. But I also understand that there's the old school, you know, being that we're first generations here in America. It was very painful back then, but we can't we can't do that now. So th there is a line. There is a line. And, um, you know, my son understands for the most part, right from wrong, when not to cross it, when you can cross the line. And, um, you know, I, I just have to, in a way practice both what my my parents had taught me growing up like how they raised me and also practice the way same way that the americans raised their children too but um there are all there are also things that i don't really agree with here in america like what most americans really believe in i shouldn't really say americans i should most likely say this current generation the era the the generation that i live in it's my people the gen or uh, Gen, gen millennials there we go either millennials or gen z's i can't remember what it is anymore but um because we we live in an area where everybody feels entitled um no one necessarily understands what the heck respect is anymore responsibility and all that stuff i feel like i had to crack down on how crack down and remember on like how my parents like brought me up into this world because I feel like I, I kind of turned out. Okay. I don't want my kid to turn out the same way that all these other kids are turned out to be nowadays. So I'm, I'm very hard. I'm very hard on my son. And, you know, thankfully 
because I'm the bad cop, his father, you know, he's, he's going to be the good cop and he's in, he's the median. He, he honestly is the median. And, um, you know, if we were both the, you know, the, the evil bad cop parent, then there would be no, there'd be no balance in, in our household. So, you know, he, his father, he understands what I believe and he respects it too. So he knows that I want to raise our son the same way that our parents raised us growing up and he can be the good parent, you know, the angel in the household. <laughs> Whenever the fun one. Yeah, the funny one, the fun one, because mom's always so mean. So he goes up to like, daddy, mommy's being so mean. Can we like, um, you know, let's play a video game or something. Let's hide from her because she's like being evil. So um, there, there are pros and cons to, um, to a lot of it. But I'd say, you know, the, the old school way, I don't know if that answers the question or not, but the way that we grew up is probably a lot better than you know, today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 me too. I mean, uh, that's how I approach parenthood too. That you have to find a balance, but you also have to make them credible for things that they do or they oh, they decide. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. You a lot of when when I first gave birth to my son, a lot of there were a lot of articles that I would read into talking about, you know, parenthood and people's different uh, point of views of opinions and everything like that. And I came to a decision or came to a conclusion that I am not going to coddle my child. If I coddle my child, he's going to think that he's going to be given everything in the world. I will give him everything, you know, everything that he deserves, everything that I never had, you know, everything that I can give him. But, I also want him to understand that if he were to do something wrong, he has to pull up his big boy pants and accept defeat. He has to accept what exactly he did wrong because, you know, I, I, I tell him every day, one day when you get older, you know, whether you are being approached by a police officer, whether you attempt to steal something, whether you hurt somebody, we're not going to be there. We are most likely not going to be there physically to help you right away. So you have to find a way to get yourself out of the situation, you know, in a very positive way and just do your best to not do, you know, those, those bad things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been teaching my kids too. Like, yes, you're Canadian, but you still Brown. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I had, I have to say that, um, you know, where we live right now, I'm I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of happy in a way, only because we live in an area that's predominantly brown. So my son will blend in. But prior to him walking into kindergarten, he was going to a, uh, I had sent him to an all, all Catholic, you know, what do you call it? Like a Catholic private school, preschool of some sort. There was a very good mix. Um, but the township that the school was in was, for the most part, I noticed that they were white. And being that he was only three, four years old, I couldn't really have that conversation with him back then because I knew he wasn't going to understand anything. So in, you know, in the recent days, I, I had to tell him, I'm like, baby, like, Jamie, you, you have to understand that you are a person of color. If you look at your skin, you're, you don't look like a sheet of printing paper. You're not white. So there are things that we can and we can't do. And being that you are a boy, you know, one day when you grow up, be it now or even later, you have to watch out 
for what you say, what you do, because people will judge you by the color of your skin. They will judge you, the fact that you are a boy, not a girl, or or whatever you want to consider yourself nowadays. And it's like, um, you, you just really have to be mindful of these things. And he goes, why? Why? And I was like, you know, if you're a boy, and one day when you get older, if a girl likes you, let's say you don't like her back, she can make up a lie and you could be in a whole lot of trouble. That's that's the difficult part that I, I've, I'm like trying to understand. And my coworkers are a lot older than I am. Their kids are about my age in, in their 20s. And they tell me all their, you know, all their worries and everything about their sons and stuff. And I'm like, man, I never, I never even thought to consider what I may be worried of, what I could be thinking of 10 years from now when, when my son's 15, you know, entering high school, I, I see my, I see my other, my significant other's nephews and everything like that. And I'm like, you guys, you know, this generation, you have it hard, nephew, you, you being that you are a boy, you know, you're in high school, social media has turned into a totally different world than what it was back then. You have to be very careful with who you associate yourself with. And and I remind my son of that. And he's like, well, what about the color of my skin? How does that, how is that going to hurt me? And I'm like, well, one day you'll understand that if there's somebody who doesn't like the color of your skin, you you're going to be put in a position that you could be in jail for something that you didn't even do. But of course I'm going to have to explain it in a way that he couldn't understand. And I'm pretty sure he probably forgot about it, but that, you know, being that's our job as the parent, we're going to have to just like keep reminding them as this, as years come and everything. Yeah. Well, they're really the, the reason why they're mad is because we're perfectly tanned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. I see some folks, you know, I, I see some folks who are, you know, sometimes I think to myself, oh, man, I, I wish I, I didn't have to tan like this. And then I look at some people, they're like, oh, I wish I was as tan as you. Like, you know, but when I do tan, I turn into a tomato. And I'm like, oh, okay, when I turn tan, I just, I turn into dark chocolate. <laughs> Even my son, my son, he's got my skin, you know, his father's a lot lighter than I am. Mm-hmm. And um, in the summertime, I'm like, yo, like, look at your farmer's tan, Jamie. You, you, sir, you, oh, you're something, <laughs> Mr. Chocolate Man. <laughs> Mr. Chocolate Man. <laughs> Were you always being proud of the color of your skin? At some point, I wasn't. At some point, when, when I was young, when I was very, very young, um, only because I realized that I looked so different. Than, than a lot of my friends, my my height, my skin, the way I looked, I, I knew that um, I wasn't I wasn't like them. But that was like in I want to say in middle school when I started becoming more subconscious about myself, um, learning about you know different groups, different cliques in school, and everything like that. And that most of, you know, the stereotype, most of the Asian people hang out with all the Asian people. You know, if you're white, Latina or whatever, you guys usually group with each other. At least that's how it was back then. And um, that's when I started becoming like, 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 why, why am I this color? Like, can I be lighter? Can I just blend in? I don't want to stand out like a sore thumb. 
but it wasn't until like high school that's when I started embracing the the color of my skin my culture my heritage even more and then once I graduated that's when I was like I I am proud I am proud to be an Asian American I am proud to be a Cambodian American I am proud of who I am I am because if I had if I had just kind of like moped and just like let it hit me the entire time who knows maybe you know my mindset would have been a very in a very negative way and I wouldn't be where I am at today I wouldn't be as proud or I wouldn't be here in New Jersey or whatever but um yeah, that, that was, that's what happened back then. Yeah, it's beautiful. You seem mm-hmm. to be very confident with yourself and know yourself. Where did that come from? And who was there a person that helped you find that person, meaning you now? Me now? I, I'd say my son. My son helped me confident. Before before I met um, his father, I was still searching for myself. That's when I started dabbling into the um, car industry, trying the import modeling out, because I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I was really, I was kind of lost in a way, lost, unsure of you know what my future had ahead of me. So I just kind of like went with the flow, and when I started. Uh, becoming a little bit more outgoing, um, meeting different people, people in different professions and everything like that. That's when I start to kind of see like, all right, now's, now's really the time for you to kind of group yourself together because you just can't keep falling back, not knowing what to do in life. Because by by the time I hit my 30s or 40s, I don't want to be stagnant. I don't want to plateau, you know, with the mindset of where I was back when I was 20, 21. And then when when I met my boyfriend, when I met my son's father, that's that's when that's when things changed. It's like we we both knew we we wanted to have a child. And when I had my son, that's when I put my foot down with with the you know with my personality and everything because I can't raise somebody I can't teach somebody what to do if I have zero confidence in myself if you know if I feel shitty about myself how do you expect to uplift someone else when they are down if you know you if you have zero confidence if you are uh, zero like very low self-esteem how do you expect to, um, you know, teach somebody or make them happy with a very fake smile on your face? So, and then also being that I work in law, I, I work with a lot of people who speak a specific way. A lot of my clientele or my boss's clientele, I should say, they all work in a variety of different fields, you know, of like government jobs. So I, I have to speak a a certain way I have to sound a certain way and in a way I also uh, relay all that to my son because I want him to understand you know I am serious I I'm not messing around if you're going to if I'm going to ask you to do something you have to do it right away otherwise you, you're going to have to turn back around and not have to ask me all these things and 
being that I picked up the career path that I did, it really did also help me out finding myself, teach, learning how to, um, which I'm gonna call it like bring up a child in, in this current day, day and age. And, um, you know, also being open-minded about the world, politics, um, finances are just like all all the issues that are currently going around mm-hmm. are happening what's your biggest fear in raising your child failure failure i i would say most parents would be scared or fearful for failure that that you did something wrong you didn't do the right thing at some point in time when they were young to to raise an adult who might have done something bad but i can't i have you know again i have to keep or even you even we both have to keep uh, like an open mind about these things that we can't just be thinking about what we could be scared of later on in future we have to think about what we need to do now to prevent what could happen in the future and i understand you know there's a lot of stuff that we don't necessarily have control of and um Besides the current, you know, current day, current time and issues and all that stuff. And um, all we can do is just, you know, do our best. Do our best. And I try to remind myself every single day that, you know, you're doing the best that you can. You know, you're doing a good job. You are not failing. You haven't. Just don't give up. The moment you give up, he will see it. And you don't want to show your child that, you know, you're broken, that you're weak, because you want him to grow up to be strong, you know, strong-minded, strong-willed, um, large imagination, and everything like that. I don't, I don't want him to have a closed mind or everything. Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. I, I, I did. I do trying to do the same thing as well. Let's change topic a little bit. Your modeling you mentioned earlier. How did you get into that? I mean, forget about the beautiful face. How, how did you get into that? Um. Well, first things first, I'm no longer modeling anymore, but um, I I originally, well, when I first moved to New Jersey, I moved here knowing nobody. I moved here having zero confidence in myself, low self-esteem, everything, you name it. <laughs> so I wanted to do something that would, you know, get me out of like that closed bubble, something that I've never done before, something that I would be embarrassed of, but also be able to overcome that feel fear of embarrassment. So I remember when I was young, I used to watch a lot of like the Too Fast, Too Furious, Fast and Furious, whatever. And this is when I'm not saying Hot Important Nights is no longer big anymore, but I'm just saying like in the early 2000s, it was huge. Hot Important Nights, early 2000s, it was huge. So those those pictures always stuck to me. Like in my in my head, just the thought of like when I become of age, when I'm an adult, I'm gonna go to hot import nights. I'm gonna do my thing. I just want to be able to enjoy a show. Plus, my my brother was really like into the cars and everything like that back then. And um, so when I moved out here, I that's when I learned about um, Tuner Evolution. I first came to, or I went to go visit, or I went, I came to New Jersey. And um, visiting, and I happened to see that Tuner Evolution or or something like that had a show, and I and I I was like I gotta go. 
I, I have to go to check this out. I mean, it's not, not hot in Fortnite, but, you know, it's one of the one of the bigger shows, uh, you know, off the East Coast or on the East Coast. So I got to check it out. So I went and I was like, holy, holy shit. You know, this is this is what I've been wanting to do, you know, ever since I was a kid. What I used to like just to at least visit, I mean, wanting to do. I wanted to at least go to a car show once in my lifetime. You know, there are some very cool cars. I never owned a rad car or anything like that in my entire lifetime. <laughs> um, my boyfriend has, but, you know, to me now, it's just like a money pit. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. But like, when when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, I got to do this. I, I really have to do this. This is the only way I can get out of my bubble. I got to make new friends somehow. Like, how else would you make new friends? At the time, I was working in Philadelphia, nine to five. So it's like I had no time to myself except for my Saturday, Sunday. So I, I started to, like, solicit online. I reached out to the, the owner of Tuner Evolution. His name is Jay, who's also the he's also my son's godfather at the same time. Oh, that's sweet. And um, I reached out to Jay, and I was like, look, I got some of these pictures. They're not that great, but uh, maybe do you have any room, you know, in in your model lounge or something like that, where you know where I'd be able to, um, you know, solicit, network, expose myself to, you know, your your type of world. He goes, yeah, sure, why not? And um, that's when I really started enjoying it. I met so many people, so many people through through Tuner Evolution, mm-hmm. and. Um, Matter of fact, that's how I met my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. We met at the car or at a car show, mm-hmm. uh, but things never really hit it off until we went to a Panda Junction. I think it was in in, in Aberdeen, Maryland, a few years like almost six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd say the the car industry definitely changed my life. That's that's how I got into it, just out of pure curiosity. And and just wanting to wanting to meet new people, make mm. new friends, rather than you know being cooped up in a house all day long, seven <laughs> days a week. Yeah. So were you? Are you? I used to go to a car show once in a while. Are you one of those? Are you one of those women that just stand by the car and just present the car, or what were you exactly were you doing? I want to say in the beginning, that's what I was doing. Then um, as I was meeting people, I realized just being a woman with a pretty face is not going to get you that far, (laughs) right? You have to, besides talking to people and, you know, being the bubbly self that you are, you're going to have to have some knowledge for people to be interested. So, um, you know, I did some of my research. So I did, um, I knew, I now know a lot about like the older vehicles and stuff and getting to know people, you start to know what they drive, how much time and effort they put in their cars. And then when you ask all these certain questions, that's when like all that information just gets implanted in your head. So whenever somebody does walk by, you stand, or I would stand by a car, they're like, oh, do you know what kind of car that is? I'm like, yeah, it's a Nissan Silvia S14 Kooky. I don't know exactly what's been inside or what has been done, but the owner's over there. If you want to go talk to him, go over there. Cause that's, this is not my car. And, um, but when I when I met my boyfriend, though, you know, I learned about everything that he put into his car to every unnecessary thing I didn't really need to know. <laughs> but he drives a um, he drives a 92 Acura NSX. 
at the time it was white. So I was like, eh, it's just a white car. And he goes, do you not know what kind of car this is? I'm like, uh, it's white. I just, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. And then he's like, this is like the king of all cars. I'm like, what the heck is that even supposed to mean? He goes, it's an NSX. And I'm like, uh, and? And that means nothing <laughs> so to me. Horrible. <laughs> His friends don't give me crap about it sometimes. How like I I I knew nothing about his car when we first started dating. I honestly didn't really know much about like the older what he would call like a class A or a class B type of vehicle. I just knew my basics of like an Integra Skyline Civic, whatever, prelude. That's it. Um but like now i'm like okay so you did this that and the third you spent sounds like you spent like too much money into it and uh it runs that's great and um but you know because i also started hanging out with his friends you know he's he's a part of a group called regiment zero and regiment zero there's you know quite a f- quite a few people all across the world. I don't know if you've heard of them or not. I am not in the car world at all. <laughs> it's not my thing. I, I, I like you said. Like, this is a money pit. If I'm gonna, uh, if I want to drive a car that is nice, I'm gonna buy an expensive car that I don't have to do anything. Uh, true, 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 true. You're right. You're right. But but in their group, they have a whole lot of like the beautiful classic cars that they're currently remaking today. So like you know, I don't know if you noticed that there are more Acura Integras, like the A spec models that are out in the world. You look at it, and they are like, "Ugh, it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid, really, and it's automatic." Okay, but when you go back to like the '90s and early 2000s of that specific vehicle, you're like, "Holy shit!" Like it has changed. It, it's you can't get it in a five speed or a six speed or whatever anymore. It doesn't look like it used to. It just looks like. <clears throat> It just looks like a futuristic robotic car to me. Like, I'm just waiting for the day that those things start hovering all over the place and all that stuff. And then, like, yeah, there's just there's just a lot. So to answer your question, uh, for the most part, I'm sorry to get off topic. All good. Is that, yeah, I, it's it's all thanks to the people that I met over, over the past 7, 8, 10, 15 years. Thanks to them, I accumulated a lot of knowledge. And when I was modeling, I was able to make that knowledge useful. So that way I could gain more, you know, clients, more business relationships, or, you know, anything among those lines. But a lot of it mostly was specifically just for networking, seeing uh, what jobs I could pick up from time to time, because I I wanted to turn a hobby into like, just like, you know, some playtime whether i get paid for it or not i didn't really care great if i did if i didn't whatever mm-hmm. it's just that i was able to at least hang out and have have some fun too yeah during those time did you experience some stereotyping or object- objectification as an asian woman nope nope mm. not at all uh, surprisingly i guess maybe it's because of like Tokyo Drift or like like the Fast and the Furious series, you see a lot of like Asian Americans or just like colored women in mm. in in the car scene. So it's very it was very easy in a way for me to get in. Um, people for the most part were were respectful or somewhat respectful, mm. and um, I never really had to experience. And I'm grateful that I didn't have to experience any sort of like. Uh, negative feedback from me being 
brown. Mm, yeah, that's amazing. What made you decide to stop modeling? My pregnancy. I mean, I can continue. I can definitely continue. When when I was doing import modeling, I was also doing commercial modeling as well. So I was with an agency. I, I traveled, you know, all around all around the tri-state area between New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey for for all these odd jobs that my agency sent me to. I could definitely continue it. I know I can, but I want to be also the the real big reason why is because I wanted to focus on raising my son. I didn't want to, you know, lose any any ounce of time that that could be very important in life, whether it be now or for later, but that, you know, he's always been my pride and joy. I'll always say that to everybody and I'm I'm not sad. I'm I don't regret giving up modeling only because I know I can always get back in at any time. Any any time. That that that's the type of career that you, it's unfortunately you're easily replaceable and I learned that the hard way when um I was contracted with a company where I was doing uh commercial commercial ads for them. And you know, every I was doing like four four jobs a week and being that it was all the way in like the outskirts of Philadelphia. I lived here in New Jersey. It just made no sense for me driving two and a half hours to um, do a two hour commercial and then also wait for makeup. Um, uh, what you call it? Makeup and then um, practicing and all stuff, driving another two and a half hours back. I had no time to be with my son and he was only. He was only a few months old. He was only a few months old at the time. Like it was easy when, easier when I was pregnant or or wasn't. I didn't have a child, and I'm not saying that it's it's not easy for any woman to continue any sort of job when having having a kid or anything like that. But because I want to give him my all, that's that's what I chose to do. You know, we you have to um, to gain something. You kind of have to give up you know, one other thing at the same time, whether it's something small or something big, that's, that's the only way we could really like meet in the middle mm-hmm. somehow. 100%. Did you always want to be a mom? Always. Mm. Always. That was, that was my dream for, for a very long time. My, my goal, I, I come from a very like small family. So family meant a whole lot to me. So when I moved to New Jersey, my brother moved to a different state. My mother moved to a different state. My father moved to a different state. So it's like, I didn't want to be alone. You know, you can have all the friends in the world. You can be around millions of people, but no one can really make you happy like, you know, a significant other or a child of yours or even family. So family was really big, really, yeah. really big. Yeah, it's the best. Always, yes, absolutely. It's the worst and the best. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> it's so. I always say it's hard to be a dad. It's easy to be a father. It's hard to be a dad. Oh or, yeah. Or vice versa for a mom, obviously. Well, father is like you do the job. You know what I mean. And then that's it. You can be a father, but to be a dad, you have to be there. You have to. Uh- Oh yeah. You know what I mean? You have to like yeah. 
if they go to you like, Dad, can I have cookie for breakfast? Like, yo, that's not going to happen, dude. But if you don't care, you're like, okay, go have whatever. That's the easiest thing, yeah. right? Yeah. But it, and like you mentioned earlier that, am I doing the right thing? When I said left, did I should have, I should have said right? Like mm-hmm. constant questioning yourself, your decision. Uh-oh. All, all the time. <laughs> all, it eats me up sometimes, even for like the, the silliest of all things. It's like, it's like, mom, I don't want to wear gloves today. I'm like, okay, whatever. Mind you, it's like 16 degrees out with windshield. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Then he gets to school and I'm, and I'm like driving to work. I'm like, are they going to play outside today? If they are, I don't, he has no gloves. I should have given him gloves. What the fuck? Okay, I really <laughs> fucked up. That. And then, you know, I just kind of have to wait the, for the call. Like, oh, Ms. Lamb, um, you never placed gloves in your son's pocket, so he can't play outside today. I'm like, oh, okay. Now he's going to curse me out when, he, when I go yeah, pick him up. And they're like, Mom, you didn't give me gloves. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and by the way, dads are the, our job, as a, our dads, are the easiest. Because we're, sec- we- we're secretaries, you know? Like, the boss says, hey, do this, do that. I'm like, yeah, of course, I'll do that. The mom has to plan everything and do pretty much everything. We just, like, we're idiots. We just follow. That's the hardest oh, part. No, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so. I mean, some people may think that, but, you know, we, we believe in our household that everything is 50-50. So I want our son to respect us equally treat us the same equally and all stuff if i'm giving him a bath one night that means your ass is going to give him a bath the next night and he's okay with it i mean he may not have lunch for him but that's fine you know i'm the one who's much more anal about like nutrition snack (laughs) um breakfast lunch like what like he has to follow like the food pyramid you can't have all carbs why i like bread because you're not going to grow any bigger you're going to be a shrimp for life if you only eat bread like you don't you get energy from bread but you can't you know grow your muscles um your eyesight's gonna get worse you don't want to be blind like me or do you want to be <laughs> deaf like me too yeah no, not at the age of five no so like his, his dad will leave all that to me which i'm totally fine with but besides that i mean i i personally feel like you know most dads do as much as the mother does i mean it might be different in everyone's you know, everyone's household and all stuff but um at least that's that's my opinion here that's mm-hmm. my opinion 100%, 100%. I, I i pretty much the same thing like for us is if as well 50-50 like the wife is good at this thing i'm good at other things so we focus on that right <laughs> what's your opinion about gender roles in marriage uh gender roles i don't like the old gender roles Mm. where you know the wife or the woman has to do everything (laughs) but that's the best we don't have to do anything (laughs) now until the moment that we leave and you're you're like i gotta do all that because i i grew up where my parents split everything in half you know, if one person's unable to clean one day, the next person's going to clean the next day. Or the one person will, you know, make up for the other person's, um, you know, weaknesses or faults, whatever. So we try to practice the same thing here. And, um, you know, in, in, like I said earlier, in some other houses or some other families, you know, there will be that, that, you know, that 
80s, that 70s wife that stays home with her apron or whatever, and she'll cook, she'll clean for the husband, she'll feed the kids six times a day. But that's not me. <laughs> that is not me. And and I'm going to say it has to do something with, uh, you know, the generation that I grew up in where everything has to be equal. I don't believe where the woman has to cook clean and not work, where in the the sole provider for the family has to be the man. Well, what happens if it's the other way around? I know people who, who, you know, have to switch roles because of, you know, their career path. And maybe the husbands have to stay home because they might be better at cooking, cleaning, or they just would rather be with the, you know, the kids and, and the wife is okay with being the breadwinner and stuff. So I, I don't believe in the old way. And uh, definitely we're, we do everything equally here for the most part. If anything, he cleans more than me. He's much more anal than I am. <laughs> He's Filipino. That's why. <laughs> I think I, he learned it from mom. Yeah, so that's the, like, that's, I was raised I, that way too. Yeah, I clean as I go. I try to clean as much as I can, but he won't deep clean a bathroom. I'll deep clean a bathroom, but he'll <laughs> yell at me for not vacuuming him. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know what I love? I did some research on you and deep, deep, dive on, deep dive on your Instagram. One of my favorite posts is when you were going through the body changes because of the pregnancy. Ah, uh, yeah. That was powerful, girl. I was like, yo, that, it, that takes balls. What made you decide to post that and how did you process the emotions during those times? Well, I can tell you, I went through, you know, people, well, number one, most women or most people don't really talk about postpartum depression often, but I, I, I hit PPD pretty, really, really hard. It came to a point where, you know, after I gave, uh, gave birth to my son, I'm, I, he, I was a cesarean, so they had to cut me open for him. Um, I couldn't move. It was so hard for me to eat. And then I had to... I was forced to rehome my dog at the time who I was, I was, he was my buddy, my, my old dog. I was with him for almost five years at the time or four years and I was forced to rehome him. So to, to go from the emotions of, you know, uh, I've just been cut open. I can't move. Uh, there are certain things I can't eat or drink or whatever. A baby just came out, lack of sleep. You just lost your best friend at the same time. Like I, I couldn't, I was going on a like a downward spiral for a solid month and a half. I couldn't eat. All I did was like cry. I was in straight depression mode. And then like one one day, I think I just like woke up to to my son just like he just just woke up perfectly fine, just cooing like most babies do at the age of like one or two months. And then like I I looked at him and I was like, "Why why am I doing this to myself?" I mean, sure, it's sad that I lost my best friend and all and stuff. Uh, but, you know, here I am with with a baby who who's clueless to this world, who's also, you know, I guess at that time, they, because they couldn't open their eyes, they're technically kind of blind in a way. You know, you can't see. You have no idea what's going on. You've never heard my voice before. And you're just very new to the world. So I thought to myself, why, why am I being like this? I should have a much more, you know, positive look in life. I should be much stronger than this because I don't want him to 
to feel sorry for me, to feel sorry that he came into this world, to this shitty world or whatever. And then um, that's when I started getting up and I started moving around. And, and you know, because I was like almost bedridden for a little bit, I, I couldn't move from from the, um, from the, what you call it, the the cutting or the, the opening or whatever or cut. I forgot what it's called. Anyways, uh, but I started moving and then I had like complications and I was scared that my, you know, my insides were just going to ooze out. I, I just started moving and I started doing things. And then um, one day I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, man, this, I didn't look like this before. You know, besides me having a baby in my body right before all, all this stuff, like I, I tell some of my friends and my coworkers before I met my boyfriend, I was, you know, very active. I was at the gym almost five days a week. Um, and to top that off, I was at my goal weight, the best weight I've ever been. I was 135 pounds and I looked the best I've ever looked. And then when I gave birth, oh, I was 210 pounds. I, I gave people... 210. I was 210. My doctor, my doctor was like, oh, Monica, don't worry. I'm sure that was all baby weight. And I'm like, all right, doc. So how much does my son weigh? He's like, oh, he's 7'7". Seven, seven. I was like, you're an asshole. <laughs> Try to tell me that I like get, after giving birth to my son, I was only 203. Uh, something's wrong here. And this ain't all baby weight. So when I looked at myself in the mirror, I was like, I I cannot believe I let myself go. My mom told me, she was like, you can't really uh, be so hard on yourself because at the end of the day, uh, Marby, he's my boyfriend. He was trying to be thoughtful. You know, he didn't want you to be on your feet all day after, you know, being at work to come home, to be on your feet again, cook for him, cook for yourself two different meals because you might have, um, you know, different taste buds one day versus him. So he was being, he was being thoughtful of you. And, you know, you're the one who had a big stomach, you're hungry. So he just kind of like took it all in. I'm like, you know, you're right. So to, to kind of overcome that hump, I, I felt like I needed to do something. Um, I wanted to face my fear of, you know, body dysmorphia, um, of the way that social media once looked at me and what they may look at me or how they may look at me later on. So I made that post. I made that post. And there was a, I can't remember the company, but there was a brand that I had used at the time that really helped me out with my stretch marks because that was the time when I didn't like my stretch marks. And then that's when I learned, you know, your, your body went through so much from all this change of having a child and stuff in a way, it's almost like your, your war scars, like your battle scars. I'm like, all right, there are some women who, who adjust to it. You know, they love it. And there are some other women out there who don't really like their stretch marks. So when I posted that, you know, that's when I told myself I'm going to do better. I don't want to look like this anymore. My boyfriend didn't seem look at me like he, I wasn't, I didn't look like this when he first met me. No, if I did, he probably would have looked the other way. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, not saying that he's like specific or anything like that, but a lot of people definitely would have looked at me or looked the other way if I had looked like this. So I, I did that in a way to kind of help motivate myself. Like Monica, you cannot let yourself go. 
you know, whether you get back to pre-pregnancy weight or not, or not, you're not going to let yourself go because this post is going to remind you, it's going to help motivate you. It's going to help you move forward, take that step that you need. So that way you can reach that goal that you want, whether it's a short term or long term, this is what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And what did you do to get that, to lose the weight and feel good again? Me, I had to change my diet. Oh. So no more like dinuguan, <laughs> no more uh, palabok. I had to like cut my diet. And then also my doctor at the time, I remember, he used to joke around. He's like, wow, Monica, when, when I was seeing my OB, he's like, you're gaining a lot of weight here. And I'm like, okay, how much am I gaining? He's like, anywhere between five and 10 pounds per week. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's a lot. Per week? Yeah. That's how I got from 135 to 210. I was gaining anywhere between 5 and 10 almost every week or two up till the date that I gave birth. Oh, shit. So he was like, are you exercising? And I was like, no. And he was like, yeah, I can tell if you're gaining this. <laughs> like, great. I love this guy. So, I mean, he's, his sense of humor was through the roof. Through the roof. And... And I was I was floored with some of the comments because like because he's an older gentleman he had a very mm. odd way of laughing and it's almost like dry at the same time so I'm mm. like okay so I think I have to laugh because I, I it sounds like he thinks it's funny so I have to laugh because he has a dry sense of humor but also I feel hurt like through the soul with a knife with everything that he said and I guess he must have forgotten that I'm a woman and we are very like you know emotional mm -hmm. and we take everything seriously. So like I, it's constant reminder, and um, you know, thinking back to all that. But, but yeah, yeah. I'm hey, props to you, man. So I, having said that, what do you think about this body positivity movement? Do you think that's a right uh, mindset, or you really should take care of yourself, your body, and everything else? I think you need to have the mentality of you know being positive about your body whether you like your body or not this is the skin that you live in you know it goes back to what we talked about before with the color of our skin the way that we look and all stuff and i have to remind myself and other people have to keep you know keep me in check in line even that you need to stop comparing yourself to people on social media you know the more that you compare yourself to like kim kardashian you're going to end up finding yourself not eating you'll end up being, um, you know, anemic, uh, losing all the nutrition in your body. You may end up becoming um, like, um, you know, Paris Hilton, you know. You, you just won't look healthy to some people's eyes. But should you really care about what other people think? No, I don't think so. You should really care about what you think about your own body and how you live in your own skin and stuff. So in order for you to move forward with, you know, a healthy relationship with your body, accepting who you are and you know what you look like you need to have a healthy mind at the same time if you're fogged or or you know bogged down by whatever it is that's going on in your life then you're going to end up thinking to yourself that you don't like yourself you don't like your body you don't like the way that you look how you hold things and stuff so you have to have you know an open mind about things in life and how you see things and how you feel about things so I really do believe that in order for you to, you know, lead a healthy lifestyle, in order for you to really enjoy, you know, your time here in life right now, you have to have a, a positive mindset. 
Mm-hmm. That's amazing, man. I think we're there. I really do appreciate this time. I really enjoy it. But before we close out, do you have any last remark or any uh, anything you'd like to add? Mm, at this time, no. At this time, mm-hmm. no. I do want to thank you for inviting me. I really oh. do appreciate it. I didn't expect any of this. Um, but, um, but yeah, thank you. Thank oh, you. You're welcome. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast too. Before we close out, do you want to say your Instagram again, just in case someone wanted to reach out to you? Sure, sure. My Instagram account is Monica M. Lamb. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Again, Monica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Salamat. <laughs> bye. <laughs> right, bye. Again, Monica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much, my listeners, and happy holidays. Please be safe and enjoy, and I will see you guys later.